Parshat Shlach, Tavshin Ayin Chet. We're going to talk about the Meraglim. It's hard to avoid. I want to talk about the Meraglim. I want to do it in a little bit of a different way. But in order to, uh, to introduce it, I just want you to remember that there are four characters that have to be accommodated in the story of the Meraglim. First of all, the first pasuk in this week's parasha, which is not on the sheet, is that God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha Meraglim. So that means that somehow HaKadosh Baruch Hu is part of the story. He's not just a reactor to the story, so to speak, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, do it. Do it so, so if it turned out badly, HaKadosh Baruch Hu must accept some of the responsibility. The second, the second responsible uh, agent was Moshe Rabbeinu, who actually charged them and sent them and organized them and sent them into Eretz Canaan. The third group that we have to talk about, or that is part of the story, are the Miraglim themselves, the twelve who went, ten of whom came back and, uh, and told stories about, about Eretz Canaan, which were true, apparently, but which had a bad influence on the tzibur, on the larger community. And finally, there is B'nai Yisrael, right? The entire community of, of, uh, of the people who went for it, who, who decided that the Miraglim were in fact pointing them away from Eretz Kinnah. Now about this whole story, you could ask the question, you ask the question, I mean, how could it be? How could it be that people who just received the Torah, they had just experienced somehow a communication or a closeness with the Kodesh Bochum, who were promised that they would get out of Mitzrayim and actually did get out of Mitzrayim, who were then promised that they would get the Torah, and they did get the Torah, who were then promised that they would go to Eretz Canaan and, and conquer it, and it would become theirs. I mean, what was it that upset the flow of history? I mean, what was it that made it so difficult? What was it that made it so difficult for B'nai Yisrael to continue on this flow when these wonderful things happened to them, where the world seemed to be under their dominion or their control? So you should remember, and if you don't remember, you could look it up. You have till Shabbos. The Ramban, the opening statement of the Ramban on this parasha, tries to accommodate, tries to accommodate some of these uh, factors, and say that you know the Bnei Israel had certain doubt, and what Moshe Rabbeinu really wanted to do would be to encourage them, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu, for whom uh, for whom it was perfectly clear that Bnei Israel had lost some of their faith thought that by going to Eretz Kanab by sending the Baraglim, they would be kind of influenced to do tshuva. And this didn't work out so well, but there's a, the Ramban sees it as being a tension between uh, what might happen, the attempt to keep it under control, and then finally losing control of the, of the process. And this, uh, for the Ramban, is important because it means that 
that certainly Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch they weren't simply uh, a kind of uh, unleashing a bad situation, but they were trying <laughs> to control it. And somehow, even though HaKadosh Baruch knew uh, that they would uh, fail, uh, the free will side of the Jewish people uh, remained intact. So these are the, these are ideas that we know about that we know about from the from the Ramban. Uh, another idea that appears in Chassidut, just as background. Another idea that appears in Chassidut is that you know, Bnei Yisrael thought that their situation in the desert was so good, was so unique. I mean, they ate man, which meant that they didn't have to work, and they drank, you know, from the bear, from Miriam's well, and they heard sheirim in Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu every day. So why would you want to leave? Why would you want to move on? Why would you want to move on? And so the idea is that the, the purpose, I mean, maybe, it may be that the purpose of B'nai Israel in the world was not to just uh, find a place for their own exalted ambitions, but the purpose of B'nai Israel in the world was somehow to make the world better and to participate in reality and having reality join with Torah. So that's what we, we say. We know there are mitzvot liot ba'aretz. So everything that's talui ba'aretz is very real. You grow things, you grow, you know, uh, there are orchards, there is, uh, uh, you know, all the things. You go, all, everything becomes connected to God through a mitzvah. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the purpose of Am Yisrael. Maybe that's the purpose that Am Yisrael has. So this was a, like a lesson. But because of the fact that B'nai Yisrael felt uh, that they were really at such an exalted level, so uniquely placed, that they didn't want to, they couldn't understand why a Kodesh Baruch would want them to go into the den of iniquity, which was Kena'an. I mean, you know, but they were all idolaters, and they all lived uh, the kind of life that the Torah was not enthusiastic about. So, but they just couldn't understand it. There was some kind of a, of a, of a you know, inability to... To, uh, to understand the tzivui, the command that Kodesh Baruch gave them to go to Eretz Yisrael. Why go to Eretz Yisrael when everything was as wonderful as it was? Was something you couldn't even imagine when you were in Mitzrayim. You couldn't even imagine that that would be... <coughs> so what I'd like to do... I mean, that's sort of the Ramban and a little bit of Chassidut, right? So five, six hundred years later, along came Rav Tzodok HaKoyin, remember? the pre-Tzadik, and he had something to say about this. It was like it became, it was 500 years later, it was still an unsolved mystery. So I'm going to read this. This, uh, this text that you have was prepared by Shalom Orbach. I have, uh, I learned, uh, I learned the pre-Tzadik with him, uh, and he prepares the text. So you see that this text, I mean, if you're interested, and what he does is in the back, on, the, on page two, on the bottom of page one, all the things that the pre-tzadik quotes, he simply uh, prints them out to make it easier to learn. You know what I mean? All right. 
You don't know what I mean. Forget about it. But if you take the sheet and try to learn it yourself, you see it's a real it's a real help. So here's the Britzadik. Britzadik, he's got to he's going to ask the question in his way. So let's read it. Let's read it. Shlach lecha nashim. Vidomer always means continue the continuation of the pasuk. So he says, Rashi b'nei Yisrael heima. That these are the people that they're sending. Not sending any ten people, or even people who are necessarily adept at this kind of spying, but they're saying they're sending Rashi b'nei Yisrael, Adam gedolim hayu. That in the Medrash Rabbah it says that these twelve people who were sent were b'nei Adam gedolim. They were great people. But they, they sort of made out that they were fools, that they couldn't understand what was going on. Moshe Rabbeinu said that they are a kind of a, a backwards kind of generation. If you look at, uh, uh, you see, see the third source of the body. You see these, I just I want to just show you what he did. You see, the third source is Devarim, Perak, Lavet, Bet, Pasuk, Pasuk, Nun, Okav. Right? You see it? You see, so it says, it says, Vayoma, Astir, Panay, Mehem, Erem, Achritam, Kidor, Tapuchot, Heima. They are a, a backwards generation. They're turned around. How are they backwards or turned around? We're back to the Pritzadi, Kidor, Tapuchot, Heima. Panim lo emun bam. That's the continuation of the pasuk. Shenivcharu mikol Yisrael mipiyak kodesh baruch. God Himself, so to speak, chose these nisiyim. Umipi Moshe, and it came from the mouth of Moshe. She came katuv vayita. Kaya katuv vayita vayita means and and I thought this was good. Mikan, so the pre-tzadik says. Shayutzadi came b'fnei Yisrael b'fnei Moshe. They were. They were righteous. They were clever. They were righteous. They were they were special. These people, shenimlach by Kodesh Bochu al kol echad vechad. After all, God, Moshe uh, Rabbeinu consulted with God about the appointment of every one of these nisiyim. Vamarlo reuyimheim, and God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, they're worthy. This was this was a special something special. And after 40 days when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai, so they were already, they were already doubting. They, they, they weren't as clever as they were supposed to be. This is his introduction. The, the pre-tzadik says. And this is an idea that appears again and again in Hasidut in a different way, in different ways. Shanashim gedolim ke'elu shayut tzadikim b'fnei Yisrael b'fnei Moshe that there are these people, great people, who we call tzadikim, right? That we call them righteous in the in the face of the Jews and in the face of Moshe. Va'kodesh bochu amasheim reuyim, and this is ver- verified by God. God says that these twelve are worthy. So he says, uh, 
איך יוציאו דיבה ויאמרו שקר? איך יוציאו דיבה ויאמרו שקר? So this is the point that he sees, he, the pre-tzadik sees, as impossible. Impossible that people chosen by God should be liars, should be misleaders. We know that there is a concept called Navi Sheker. It is possible for a Navi to turn, to become a Shakran. Even though the Navi signs on to Emet, he says, this is what God says, this is what God wants. That's the Navi representing Emet. In spite of that fact, in spite of that fact, and, and therefore you would not, ex- I'm sorry, in spite of that fact, it's possible for a Navi <coughs> to become a Shakran, a liar. And that's the story of Hananya ben Azur. If you don't know the story, look it up. Hananya ben Azur. But he says it directly in the pre He says, HaKadosh Bochu Amar Shehem Re'uyim even HaKadosh Baruch Hu validated their choice. And then he quotes the Zohar HaKadosh. I want you to know the Zohar, as far as I'm concerned, is, uh, is certainly a collection of material that Jews learned. And when exactly it was written in the book that we call the Zohar, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really matter to my mind. The Zohar is a collection of traditional learning that people, people who were interested in that material uh, uh, learned. It's like, uh, it's like the Alkut Shimoni. The Alkut Shimoni is a collection of Medrashim written after or compiled after Rashi, later than Rashi. But in the Yalkut Shimoni, sometimes you find things that seem to go back to much earlier sources that only exist in the Yalta Shimoni. So it was a way of remembering things. People wrote them down as collections. They collected them. The same thing is probably true about the Zohar, even though I'm not an expert. Bazar Amru, Iyalun Yisrael Ara, Nitaber Anan Milahavi Reishin. He says, if we go up to the, the, these guys, said, if we go to Eretz Kenan, so we're not going to be the Nisi'im anymore. The Yemani Moshe Reishin Achrinan. And Moshe Rabbeinu will appoint others. Avol Ba'ara Lonizke. Right? We will not be worthy in Eretz Kenan of this position. With Tzarech Lahavin, we have to understand. Menayad Ui. How did they know Shabbat Yisrael Lo Yerashim? In other words, the Zohar quotes something. And the something that the Zohar quotes is that the Nisiyim, these Nisiyim who went and became, uh, uh, they were worried because they knew that when they came to Eretz Yisrael, they would be replaced by a younger team, a faster team, a more appropriate team. They would be replaced. Lo Yerashim. So, I'm sorry, so he says, How did they know that? That's what the Zohar says. The Zohar says they knew they wouldn't be in charge anymore. So, so he says, how, how did they know such a thing? 
גם איך ייתכן שאנשים צדיקים כמותם ישקרו? How, how could it be that they would, that they would lie? מפני נגיעה כזו שבארץ ישראל לא יהיה רשי. So what kind of a, an answer is that? How can you say that because they were worried that when they come to Eretz Yisrael they would no longer have their jobs, they would be demoted to some more menial position, so they lied about Eretz Yisrael because they didn't want to go there. They didn't want the people to go there because then they would be, it's like a, a curious idea that exists in the Zohar. Right? It doesn't exist any place else that I know of. Nachamu, we'll say it again. These, these Rashi B'nai Yisrael, these people who were the leaders of B'nai Yisrael knew for some reason, in some way, that they would be demoted after people, after they conquered Eretz Canaan. And therefore, they didn't want to go to Eretz Canaan. They didn't want to go to Eretz Canaan. So this becomes a leading idea that the pre-Tzadik is trying to deal with. But you understand that twice he used the word sheker. He says, how could they lie? How could they lie about Eretz Yisrael? Now that itself, in, if I was learning, we were trying to learn what the pre-Tzadik was talking about, that would be a problem because they didn't lie. They misled. But they did not lie. When they said the cities are big and strong, the cities were big and strong. When they said the people are big and, and tough, they were big and tough. So and when they said that the fruit is uh, outstanding, excellent, you know, they, they had that label from the Carmel Mizrahi bottles. So they, it's true. Everything they said was true. But truth can be misleading. Whether that's called sheker is, is something to think about. Right? Obviously, the Pritzadik thought that they were lying. And the reason that he thought that they were lying was <coughs> that they wanted to dissuade the people from going to Eretz Yisrael. So even if the words can be understood as being true, if the implication of the words is something wrong, then, uh, you know, then there's something wrong. Let's go on to the next paragraph. What I want to explain. I want to explain. I want to explain. That after 40 years, or the Medrash says, he says, after 40 years, 40 years they ate man, 40 years they drank water from Miriam's well. And the Gemara says, Kedei, they lived in a world where there was no waste. They lived in a, in a reality there was no waste. So they ate the man, but there was no waste. It didn't, what went in didn't come out. It was just the perfect, it was always perfect. I mean, theoretically, if you eat exactly what you need, you're not going to have, you're not going to produce waste. What about from the Slav? What? From the Slav. That what? Was there waste? You asking me? Yes, I think so. The Slav was an affair. But they were living a they were living a, a mashal. They they were living in a world in which the Torah was supposed to be absorbed into them without any waste, without any forgetting. 
And so, uh, he says, Betok mayhem kemosh amruba midrash. And the quote is from the Tanchuma. Vekeinu bezor hakadosh kedein mitparech b'maoi. Again, they were uh, uh, blessed with their intestines. Their intestines were blessed. Vestachei bechokva ilo'o. And they kind of received the exalted wisdom of the Torah. And because of this, they are called Dor That One of the names of the Dor Amidbar is Dor They knew things. They understood things. They were the closest to the correct interpretation of the Torah because they received the Torah from heaven and Moshe Rabbeinu was it, their teacher. So that's why they're called Dordeyavim. In spite of all of that, it says in the Torah, That's what the Pasuk says. You see the second source on the bottom. Not because you're righteous. Because you have a straight heart. It's not because of your goodness that you are inheriting their land. Because they are wicked, these nations. God will let you inherit their place. So in spite of the fact that on the one hand that we know the Dor HaMidbar were very special people and somehow compared uh, Torah learning to the fact that eating without producing any waste. Nevertheless, lo katcha uviyosha levavcha atabala reshet et artsam ki birishata goyivi gomer. Ulema'an, another pasuk, hakim et adavar, v'hinei hamaraglim, shiyadu sheim rashei b'nei Yisrael. These spies, they knew that they were the leaders of B'nai Yisrael, Shebaul Eretz Yisrael. Hirgishu Katam Einam Kedai Lareshet Et Hagoyim. So why? How does he explain it? How does he explain this apparent contradiction in the Psukim? That on the one hand, Chazal understood that these people were very special people. They were Dordea, they were people who, who received the Torah, who, for whom there was no waste or forgetfulness on the one hand. And then on the other hand, the Pesach says, not because you are righteous, but because they deserve to be punished. Because you're not righteous enough to inherit the land on your own. But, but, they, but, but the Canaanites, they deserve to be punished. They deserve to be kicked out of, kicked out of Eretz Yisrael, right? Gishu, <coughs> he says, they felt shebitzit katam einam kedai lereshet etagoyim that they themselves, these these miraglim, these nisiim, these big shots, these tzadikim. They felt, I mean, they knew what the Torah position was, and they felt that they were not worthy of inheriting the land. And so they said, if we are not worthy, we're the top of the line. We're the best of the best. 
and we're not worthy. I mean, that's what the Pasuk says, you're not worthy. It's only because the, the Canaanites deserve to be kicked out of their land that you're going to win. So he says, you're not worthy. So, we know that at that time, the Avon HaEmori, Emori is a, is a name for the seven nations of Canaan. Lo Shalem Avon HaEmori. They didn't really, they weren't really prepared to get kicked out. She'i Efshar Lichnos La'aretz Miyad. One second. They're not complete, you know, they, they don't deserve this terrible punishment. So here we have it. Here is the Preet Sadiq. The Preet Sadiq, how can I accommodate the fact that, <coughs> how can I accommodate the fact that the people who went to be the spies, were the great people of Am Yisrael. How could I accommodate the fact that they are called, that people of Israel are called Dor Dea? Yes? Dor Dea. How could I accommodate the fact that all of B'nai Yisrael were denied access to Eretz Kedad because of their activities? He says, this is what happened. He tells a different story. He says, these great people came to Eretz Israel, and they understood the Pasuk, right? The second Pasuk on the, at the bottom. The second Pasuk. Lo It's not because you're Tzadikim. Who, who, who recognized that fact? The spies. The Tzadikim. The ones we called Tzadikim. They said... It's as though God said to them, oh, you think it's your righteousness? You're not righteous. You're not righteous. Why, are, why will they get kicked out, the Canaanites? Because they're Canaanites. But, but we also know that the Avon HaEmori, that the transgression of the Amorites, was not complete at that time. So along came these wise men of Israel. And they said, how can we accommodate the fact that there is a, a, a command to conquer the land? And then there's a pasuk that says, lo And then there's the fact that the Amorites are not really worthy of being, how do I come accommodate those three things? Easy. He said, we're righteous. They said, we're right, but we're not righteous enough. And if we're not righteous enough, B'nai Yisrael are certainly not righteous enough. So it turns out that the Meraglim set out to save B'nai Yisrael from doing something that they couldn't do. Could they fight? Yes. Could they even win? Perhaps. But what is it that they would not be able to do? They would not be able to fight with righteousness. They would never be able to beat down the Canaanites with their righteousness. And how do I know that? Because that's what the Pesach says. That's what the Pesach says. And since the Pesach says it, there's no way. So the Meraglim said to themselves, we have to save ourselves from committing 
this terrible tragedy of going into a place where we are forbidden to trod. Don't go there. Don't be there until you can claim that you have the righteousness necessary to deal with this problem. So again, uh, the pre-tzaddik turns the miraglim from being the enemy into being the protector of the faith. The ones who, who realized what was happening. And of course it made sense now that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha Anashim. And it makes sense again that in Dvarim when Moshe Rabbeinu tells the story, he says, Vayitav Hadavar Be'enai. It all made sense to me. I thought it was correct. I thought this awareness was actually necessary. And that the 40 years in the desert was actually necessary in order to produce a people that would be worthy of the conquest. Because conquest is not just conquest, but conquest is the result of the conquest. Result of the conquest. And you know that after the 38 years of the desert, the, the, the other 30, starting from the Chaita Maraglim, the 38 years of the desert were devoted to learning Torah. And it's not hard to imagine that learning Torah, right, on the national level, I mean, everybody learned Torah, that this produced a reality which was worthy of Eretz Kenan. And that, that uh, somehow the promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made that they would go to Eretz Kenan could only be abrogated by Am Yisrael themselves. It wasn't HaKadosh Baruch who said that they couldn't go to Eretz Yisrael, even though there was a good idea. But it was B'nai Yisrael who said about themselves that they're not going to go to Eretz, to Eretz Kenan. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't bring it in, but how does one deal with the fact that when they were even at a lower level, before they received the Torah, which means that they were still in the process of casting out the 49 Shari Tumah, they fought against Amalek, which is sometimes considered within the groups of the Canaanites, sometimes they're counted within it, and they defeated them successfully with the help of Hashem. If Hashem helps them, believes that they're at a, a level where they were so low to help them to fight and win there, and now they have the Torah, which means that they're past the 49 steps of the, the Shari Tumah, why would they not think, at least at this level, we have enough righteousness to overcome this, to go in? Maybe we don't have all that we need, but the whole idea of the national plan is to Hashem getting us in the land and then bringing us up to an even higher level. I, I, they passed that test yeah, already. I was going to bring Mulchemet Amalek as a proof of the opposite. Should I do that? Yeah. Sure. It's like, it's like awareness. Like, where does awareness come from? Where does awareness that you need righteousness come from? Well, it doesn't make any sense. After all, war is war. And, you know, good tactics, good strategy, <coughs> that's what wins the war. But you know that in the war against Amalek, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu held his arms up. Mm-hmm which makes that war a very unconventional one. 
right? because it was won the war was won because of the faith exhibited by the people fighting the war and yet that war was not, did not produce a complete victory because Amalek continued to exist and was beaten down again by Shaul HaMelech and eventually seems to have disappeared but they did not dis- oh, Purim, you know, Purim is more Amalek so that I think that, that if, if you told these the Siyim he said you don't have the righteousness necessary, you know Moshe Rabbeinu is leaving you it's not going to be enough to stand around with Moshe Rabbeinu with arms elevated because he's just not going to be there. So the righteousness has to be sui generis. It's got to be, it's got to come from you. And you don't have that. And you don't have that. So I think that, that the war with Amalek could be seen as a kind of a model, a model for, for other things, okay? Now, let's skip down to the Abraham. You see the next... Okay, just, I mean, just so this is the pre-Tabbing's idea, or he took this from the Zohar? No, I think it's his idea, but the Zohar is a kind of an indicator in that and way. Yeah. And what? And when did he live? Who? The pre-Tabbing. World War I. This just sounds an Died. awful lot like why we can't come to Israel. Who can't come? Us, uh, oh, yeah. oh. Okay, skip to Abraham. You see Abraham? He has a very interesting uh, commentary. You know then in the Brit Bain Habitarim, there was some sort of covenant made between. Covenant is an agreement. There was some sort of an agreement made between Abraham and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What exactly that means and what the conditions of the covenant were. But it says in the Pasuk, That's what the Pasuk says. And Moshe Rabbeinu believed. It was the promise. There were two promises, right, Moshe Rabbeinu. One was for progeny, and the other was, was for, the, for the land of Canaan. Those were the two promises that were given to, to Avram Avinu. Sorry, to Avram Avinu. So he says, Pirish Rashi, he quotes, The fact that Abraham Avinu believed in the promise, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu sort of uh, considered to be tzedakah, from the word tzedek, righteousness. He was a righteous person. Uchetagum Unkulus, that it was considered to be a merit to Avram Avinu. Aramban Zal, Hiksha. He says, he says, there's a Ramban right there on the Pasuk. The Ramban's comment is, <coughs> he says, Maze What's the big deal? What's the big deal? The Navi heard God say, the promise is A and the promise is B. So what sort of schut is it for Avraham Avinu to believe? Of course Avraham Avinu, he was a Navi. I mean, he knew that he was hearing the voice of God, or he was getting the invasion of God. So the, the, the Ramban says, well, what is the grace of schut? What is the big merit that Avraham Avinu gets for believing what God said? That doesn't make much, much sense. Ach uh, Alpima Shamru Mishulak Kekochavim 
that that uh, uh, the the progeny are, are going to be like the stars in the sky. Isn't that what God said to uh, to Avraham Avinu? They're going to be get a lot of stars in your family, right? Kishehain olin olim ad So that means that the Gemara says, why why did God say kochabim? He could have said like. Uh, like grains of sand. There's a lot of things where there are a lot of them. So he says, he says that they'll be like stars. They're not only going to be numerically like stars, but they'll be like stars. How is, how is that? Olim, olim, ad They'll go up in their status to the, to, to the heavens and be with the kochavim. That, that your children will be like that. But it doesn't mean that numerically they'll be like that. But it means like they'll be up there with the stars in the, in the heavens. And he says, you know, they're going to be great Jews. Your descendants will include great people. Who are going to be like stars? the stars in the sky. So here's you know he's not afraid. Today, if a boy in yeshiva would ask this question, they kick him out for for being a bad influence. But here's here's, uh, here's the pritzani. He says. He says, I don't understand. How could God promise Avram Avinu that his children, his progeny, will be righteous and star-like in heaven? He says, after all, He says, after all, we all know that there's free will. So free will means that you might do good, you might not do so good. After all, free will is something that we have. Each person has the ability to choose freely. I don't know if he put this. Did he put this in? Ramban. Megillah, Shemot. No, he didn't no. put it in. But it, I don't think he put it in. But everybody knows what the Rambam says, right? The Rambam says, <clears throat> the Rambam says, what's, what do you mean tzaddik in Russia? Like, what's the difference? After all, God knows what you're going to be. And if God knows what you're going to be, so then you don't really have a choice. If you don't have a choice, then the categories become irrelevant. Rambam. What's the Rambam's answer to this question? He says, you know, there's always something that you don't understand. That's it. You don't understand. And if you want further discussion, the Ravid makes a comment in which he tends to disagree with the rabbi. <coughs> but the the uh, the uh, Pritzat is accepting the position of the Rambam, who says, Masha isiga Ravid zal Rambam. Mifarash b'zor chadash zor chadash is a, like an addendum to the Zohar. Ubarizal in the books that were written 
with the quotes of the Arizal. <coughs> now listen to this. You ready? In other words, the Arizal, the Arizal has to kind of figure out how you could have free will and God knows everything. Right? We got that problem? Now you can either say, okay, I mean, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Let's go on to the next question. Or you could say, I could take a stab at it. I can move in that direction. That's what the Arizal did. The Arizal answered the question. How can you have free will when God knows everything that's going to happen? Interesting question. Here's the answer of the Arizal. He said, Arizal, sheyesh makom she'ein v'chira. V'hainu b'midat atika kedisha. Atika kedisha means God. Lemala mitfisat adam v'sichleinu v'hu ne'elam mikol ra'ayot. Again, you see what it says? Yesh makom she'ein b'chira. There is a place in, in, in other words, what it means is that Bechirach of Shit, Bechirach of Shit, in order to have Bechirach of Shit, you have to distance yourself from God. Uh, the closer you are to God, the less reasonable it is to imagine Bechirach of Shit. A, a good example of that is B'nai Yisrael standing at Har Sinai. Right? God comes down and says, here it is, guys. You want the Torah? Everybody looks up and says, you know. And nobody says, can I think about it? Can I come back next week? Everybody accepts that. Except, yeah, yeah, we don't, we're for 100%. 100% because when you're very close to God, your free will is limited. You can't, you can't think about it. You can't think about it, but later on, in Parshat Mishpatim, when, I could, when Moshe Rabbeinu says to Bnei Israel, come with me, let's go and get the, let's go get the rest of the Torah. What did Bnei Israel say? What did they say? He says, no, you go. You go, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. So what was the difference between the first story and the second story? They're not different, it's the, the continuation, but the, first, the beginning and the continuation, the beginning of the story, nobody asked them. And God came down and they didn't know what was going to happen. <coughs> so of course they accepted it. Accepted the Torah. But when they had a chance to think about they said, no, no, we, we, we can't decide. We can't think up there. We don't know what's going on. We'll stay down. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, go up. So this is what he says. Just do the words again. On the second line, on the left-hand column, on the second line of Arizal, Sheyesh Makom, there is a place in the world where there is no free will. When you get closer to Atika Kadisha, the, the, the old man in heaven, right? The, the closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Adam. You get to a place where you cannot understand. You don't understand what's going on. And our seichel just doesn't work anymore. And I'm not able to understand any ideas. 
And so when the Pesach says that Avraham Avinu believed in God, Amin Bashem, Sheyuchal liyot yidi'ah, Sheyu kikokvei hashamayim, Avul pishi yesh bichirah. That's the Amin Bashem. That Moshe Avraham Avinu believed that there was this possibility, that the contradiction between free will and divine knowledge would be resolved. There's some place you could go where it's resolved. And, and not to be trite, quantum mechanics. Vida, quantum mechanics, right? It's trite, it's trite because I don't really know anything about it. But it's a good thing to reference. It's a good thing to reference. Not so good if somebody in the group knows about quantum mechanics, that's never good. He isn't here. But, but quantum mechanics is like impossible. It's something impossible that, that, was, that was just happening. It happened impossible. So that's exactly what he's saying. This is the, the complete faith. In other words, there's faith and there's greater faith. There's understanding and there's greater understanding. Now skip to the next paragraph. Skip to the next paragraph. And about B'nai Yisrael, it also says before, Kriyat Yam Suf, Vayaminu Vashem, Ve'ita B'schut Ha'emana, Sharta Alehem, Shechina, that the faith brought down upon them the Shechina, Amru. Shira, and they were able to sing Shirat Ayam Vahainu, Shaminu, Shaafsha, you as Bikalala Kitrug Halalo of the Abudazara, Bahalalo, even though there were terrible things happening to them, Mikol Matom, Ayayikola Biyada Kadashbokula Lotam the Madrega, Shirata Shivha Layam Mashalora Anabiim Mashalora Ayakaskilkabot. They were at the same time, they were able to understand that, that there could be an experience that would so be so out of the box that even uh, uh, that the shifcha layam, that the maidservants would be able to have a connection to Akadosh Baruch Hu, that even Yechezkel ben Buzi, who was a prophet who prophesied about the future, this was not able, was not able to have uh, <coughs> again, so again he says, the kriyatiyam suf batikatalya. The kriyatiyam suf has something to do with the with the uh, special presence of God. Val amuratlim ayachaser emunazo. Listen, oh, it's all worth it for this line. Aval hamuratlim. This is what happened to these muratlim. Why couldn't the Braglim believe that God wanted them to go to Eretz Kenan? Okay. Okay, so he thought that they weren't worthy, they weren't tzaddikim. That's the first part of, of the pre -tzaddik. But now, listen to what he says. They could not understand. Right? You know... You know that uh, that Adam Harishon had one 
command. Don't eat it. Right? The one command. How come he ate it? How come he ate it? Well, the Gemara says that he misunderstood. He misunderstood. He thought that not eating and not touching were the same. And since he was able to put his hand on the eight Sadat and nothing happened, he assumed. He assumed, what did he assume? That he misunderstood. That he misunderstood. In other words, logic. Logic is often uh, the bedfellow of, uh, of learning Torah, but sometimes is misleading. Sometimes it's misleading, and when it's misleading, you have to avoid it like a plague. So what is it that, B'nai, that the Meraglim said? They felt that somehow the tzidkut that was necessary in order to really fulfill the divine demand was not part of them. They could not understand how God could overlook this deficiency that they had within themselves. So you see that only uh, Kalev and Yoshua understood understood that you could have a tzivui, a command that defied your own understanding. That's what the idea of the pre-tzadik was. The idea of the pre-tzadik. The miraglim could not understand, could not understand that God would command B'nai Yisrael to do something that it would seem that they were not worthy of accomplishing. They were just a bunch of people just people who had gone through horrible experiences. They were not yet, for some reason, an exalted community. And therefore, the conquest of Eretz Canaan would not be done in an exalted way. The righteousness would not be imposed upon Eretz Canaan. And therefore, they felt that it was a, uh, a insulting to the divine command to carry it out. Right, because they believed in their analysis. Only Yoshua and Kalev said, there are things that you don't understand. And one of them may be that, <coughs> though we are not worthy, we are appropriate to conquer the land right now. To conquer the land right now. It may be that the ten Miraglim, the ten Miraglim sort of won on a temporary basis, like the Jews did not go to conquer the land, because they did not go to conquer the land, because they really weren't worthy of being conquerors. And the 38 years that were the 38 years of punishment in the desert were 38 years of Talmud Torah. And the 38 years of Talmud Torah changed everything around, made it into a different different, uh, situation. So that's the, the way that the pre tries to accommodate his ideas 
with whatever is going on with the Chet Amaraglim, but we have to understand that, you know, like most good questions, they keep coming up year after year after year, and certainly the questions about the Maraglim are, uh, are all good questions. If you don't remember, you should look at the Ramban, the first Ramban on the Parsha, where it's a little bit long, but it tries to explain all of these things, and, and you could see where it's sort of left open, where still there's something to add. And that's what the Pritzadik felt, but he used this idea that there's a lower level of righteousness and a higher level of righteousness. And that the higher level of righteousness was necessary in order to bring that righteousness into Eretz Kedah, not just to conquer it. I mean, we know that. <coughs> I don't like politics, I don't like to say anything political, but there's no doubt that the conquest of Aza did not create a new situation. And uh, history is, seems to indicate, even though don't learn things from history, but seems to indicate that, uh, that you can't maintain a conquest unless you have a new situation. Unless the people who you conquer want to be conquered. But if the people you conquer don't want to be conquered, it would seem, at least in the past, that it just didn't happen. It just doesn't doesn't happen. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a mild-mannered conqueror or an authoritarian conqueror. It doesn't, doesn't really make any difference. It doesn't matter if you're a Russian or a French person, right? You know, the Russians got kicked out of wherever they got kicked out of, and the French got kicked out of North Africa. I mean, these guys were nice guys, and these guys were not nice guys. It doesn't really make any difference doesn't really make any difference. What you have to do is, is create a different reality. It's create a different reality in which there are no conquerors and conquered, but there's just some kind of modus vivendi for being part of the situation. Don't quote me. I didn't mean it. If you're on video. Yeah. It's all it's it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Okay. Have a good shot.